0: all right so having conversations sometimes is a little bit more difficult sometimes it's a little bit easier depending on the way that we engage with people and I I think when we're when we're thinking about this um when we're thinking about just the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus we we find ourselves in a little bit of a struggle because we have a few lies that we listen to we have a few things that we that we hear in the back of our head and we have a few things that that we kind of um just go well that's not really my gifting it's not my gifting i'm not an evangelist anyone ever thought you know what i i don't know how to share jesus because i'm not an evangelist because when we think about an evangelist, we think about somebody like uh, Billy Graham, right? We think about somebody that stands up in front of crowds of thousands and, and says uh, all these amazing words and invites people to, uh, to know and to trust Jesus. And then all of these people come to the front and they respond and, and it's this amazing movement. And so when we think about evangelists, we think about either a Billy Graham or somebody that's on a street corner that's standing and, and screaming all kinds of things at people. But let me tell you, as a follower of Jesus, we are all called to evangelism. Okay, that's the difference. Not everyone is an evangelist, but all of us are called to evangelism—to tell others about the goodness of Jesus everywhere we go. Last week, we—I I had some numbers that I shared with you, and we—we uh, we understood that about seventy-five hundred people. Um, within five miles of this building on a Sunday morning are not going to any church. 7,500 people. Those people are are not in church, and that doesn't count the people who do go to church maybe once a month. So when you start adding all these numbers together, you have over 8,000, closer to uh, 8,500 people that aren't in church on any given day. Sunday and as I was thinking about that and we remember we talked about how when we have an opportunity with people that aren't coming to church that don't have a a habit truly of being involved in the body of Christ that we find ourselves uh, in a midst of what I would like to call a mission field and we said hey listen the mission field is coming to you as, as the larger cities come further out into the rural areas, the mission field comes to you. And so my prayer is that we figure out how to have those everyday conversations. The ones about, man, it's hot out there, ain't it? Right? Not, you think that's hot, you should think about hell. No, not that one. <laughs> that, that is not a good gospel conversation, okay? <laughs> Don't do that one. Okay, but think about how we can have those gospel conversations, those everyday situations, because I'll ter- tell you, every single one of us have encountered someone over this past week that has had something difficult going on in their life. Is that true? And it may be you, and you're like, I talked to myself in the mirror today, and I said, I don't know if it can get any worse, and I said, why did I say that out loud, <laughs> Right? But we want to figure out how to have these gospel conversations. They say that uh, there's an author called Malcolm Gladwell, and he wrote a book called The Tipping Point. And he said that it takes 10% of people to create a movement. It takes 10% of people to create a movement of any sort. Now, if we were determined to reach within five miles of this building, that 10%, it sounds like a pretty good place to start. But what if, what if every person in this room made a commitment, made a commitment to having intentional conversations, it would look like each one reach one, every person in here having the desire and the intentionality in their, in their goings about of their school, of their job, of being out in the community to say, you know what? I'm just going to try over the course of this year to reach one person. Now, truly, that doesn't sound too hard, right? Think about all of the people that you interact with every single day. And I want to ask you a question about it. What if God placed you there to help them know God? What if God placed you in that extremely long line in H-E-B to help them know God? What if God placed you in your job to help that person that sits at the desk across from you to know God? What if God put you right where you are in your neighborhood, because your neighbor desperately needs to know him. What if you're placed there just to tell them about Jesus? What if they moved into your neighborhood just so they could hear about Jesus? I don't think it's that grand of a God-sized idea to think that we can tell one person over the course of six months about Jesus. The biggest thing that we have to do is that we just have to get over ourselves. We have to get over our own fear and our own thought that if I tell someone about Jesus, I have to know every single answer. I have to know every book of the Bible, all 66 of them, right? I have to know what they say and how it applies, and I need to answer for every problem. That has happened over the course of human history. And if we could all just get past our own stumbling blocks and say, you know what? I'm going to take God at his word that his word will not return void. And that when I get in a situation, when I have a conversation with somebody, if I don't know that the Holy Spirit will intervene and help me, Because that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our life, is to be our helper, the one that that empowers us, that helps us to live a life that is godly. Now, this person that you share with, it would be great if they would come and be part of the fellowship here, but they don't have to attend here. Once you share about Jesus, they don't have to attend here. We just want them plugged into a local church. So last week, Last week, we looked about uh, about the parting words of Jesus, the parting words of Jesus that placed every single one of us here on missions, and it was mainly this, make disciples of all nations, to make disciples of every single nation, to tell them the good news, the good news that God had made a way for them, that God had made a way for them to live the way that they were designed to live. And we're learning, what we're learning through this three three circles is a conversational way to bring them the help that they need. And that help comes through the gospel of Jesus. So, the main point that we covered is that we are all part of God's design. It's the first circle on that board there. In fact, you're God's masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece, Paul says. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things that he has planned for us long ago. And last week, I gave you some homework. I gave you some homework that you would write down two people, two people that you, that you think don't know Jesus, two people that you are unsure of their status with, with our Heavenly Father, to write down their names. And I said simply just pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that as you're praying for them, pray that God will give you an opportunity to interact with them, to have a conversation. Now, if you weren't here last week, you're not off the hook. In fact, I'd like for you to take out your phone or take out your your bulletin or whatever it is and think of two people that you need to be sure that know about the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus. And I want you to commit to pray. Commit to pray for them every day and ask God for an opportunity. See, everyone in here can commit to pray. And if you haven't written down that name, please do so. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a place that all of us in here truly know all too well is that we live in a broken world. We live in this world that that is irreparably broken. There are so many things that as we watch what happens on the news cycles, we see what happens in, in, uh, in families and in different areas of life, we say, you know what? This world is broken. In the United States today, over 40% of children live in single-parent homes. Almost 500,000 children were removed from their homes because of neglect and abuse. Over 21 million people, 12 and older, battle with substance abuse disorder. Alcohol poisoning kills more than six people every day. And of those people, 76% of them are ages 35 to 64. Of those people, 75% of them are men. The police, they report over 3,000 violent crimes a day. As if you didn't need any more evidence that we, that we live in a broken nation. We live in this broken nation and we are struggling, all of us struggle with trying to figure out how can we put the pieces back together. In fact, I think if you were really honest, you'd say, if there were a way that I could do something, I would. Right? If you could do something, you would. But when you look at the grand scale of what's going on in the world, you say, what is my contribution going to do? But to be honest, we are trying. Now, we try in many different ways. Our nation tries in different ways. The government tries to do the things that they need to do to try and fix this issue. And we live in this broken nation. And something is very wrong, and we're doing all that we can to fix it. So what do we do? We say, well, let's do this. Let's teach some values in the public schools. Let's teach the kids how to have a good character, how to, how to be moral, how to think about their actions. We try to provide health care to everyone. We study those who are in prison and we, and we try to figure out these repeat offender rates and we try to develop these programs to, to keep them from doing those things that landed them there in the first place. And we're trying all kinds of things. All kinds of people are trying all kinds of things. But did you know that God, God has given us the solution. God has given us a design for our lives, but we chose to depart from it. God has given us this design and it's been there from the very beginning. But this problem has been from the very beginning, Adam and Eve In the story of Adam and Eve, they thought they knew better than God. So what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at the the account in Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at Adam and Eve and that interaction. And how it has developed this brokenness through all of humanity. Now it starts here. Now the serpent, verse 1, was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman, she said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, God said, you shall not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, Oh, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And this is the clincher right here. And you will be like God. The very source of our brokenness is our desire to be the God in our own life. You'll be like God knowing Good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree and and, des, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And the eyes of both were opened. The eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The Bible's word for departing from God's design and going our own way is sin. And we all sin. If there's ever a moment that you think you're going to get to the point where you don't sin, you're only fooling yourself. If you run into somebody who says, you know what, I don't, I don't sin anymore, you say, well, you just lied right there. We all sin. Isaiah, Isaiah said it this way, and we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. That is the struggle, that's the whole thing that was at play here in our lives, is that we are trying to go our own way and not go the way that God has designed us to go. And the Lord laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Paul said it this way, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's where we depart from God's design. When we depart from God's design and sin enters into our life and sin becomes a normal practice, all of these things lead to our brokenness. It leads to us being separated. It breaks the communion that we have with God. That relational impact, that relational connection that we have with our Heavenly Father, it's broken. And it feels like these things. It feels like shame. It feels like an overwhelming feeling of shame, of guilt. And as those things disconnect us from God, we feel absolutely alone. And what happens when we feel shame and guilt and loneliness? Well, we we hide. We hide from God. This is how it happened in in the garden with Adam and Eve. Picking up at verse 8 in chapter 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, Where are you? As if God didn't know. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And that's where we come to understand that brokenness disrupts God's design. If you can continue through the passage in chapter 3, you're going to find all kinds of disruptions that come out of what happened here with Adam and Eve. What happened here, as, as they understood more fully the difference between good and evil, the very thing that God had covered them from. As they understood that there was a battle raging around, they for the first time tried to be like God and took on every bit of that and became their selfish desire to be like God, and created the brokenness that they could not overcome so as you continue through chapter three you're going to find all the disruptions that come from from this the disruption like this the disruption in our spiritual life found in verses 14 and 15 that we have an enemy there's a disruption in our communion with God that we don't have a connection with God like we should have that we have an enemy the serpent that is satan Then we have disruption that happens in our family life. God said in verse 16 that there would be pain in childbearing, not just in birth, but afterwards too. We find that there's disruption in our married life. He said to her, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. There will be tension in the marriage relationship. There's disruption, then, in our work life. Toil and labor, hard toil and labor to produce the things that the earth used to just produce naturally. There's a harsh toil and labor, a disruption in our work life. It disrupts our physical life. Ultimately, it resulted in physical death. And all of these disruptions, every single one of them, come from brokenness. Now, brokenness, a lot of times we see is this absolutely horrible thing. But see, brokenness can help us to see our need for change. Because without brokenness, we would just kind of go along life, skipping along, right? Any of you just really think about your relationship with God when things are good Some of us have gotten there, but most of us, like, we're not really thinking about God when things are good. But I tell you what, I will cry out when things don't go well. I'll cry out when something's broken, someone cuts me off, or someone uh, does something that I don't like. But our brokenness sometimes helps us to see our need for change because we try to cover up our sin with all kinds of things, with the way that we work, the things that we do in our work. We do what we can to try and fix our brokenness. We, we just continue to pile things on. We seek things like relationships that aren't healthy. We try to fill our lives with another person rather than finding an opportunity to fill our lives with our Heavenly Father. We seek drugs to dull the pain. We seek alcohol to forget. We seek, uh, we seek striving to be a better me. I'm just going to be my best self kind of a thing. And we go through all the self-help places, trying to find all the self-help ways to do everything, and we neglect to find the creator, the one that made us, the one that said that we are his created masterpiece, the most wonderful thing he had ever created. And our quest to fix our brokenness just does not work. So brokenness seems like a bad thing, but in so many cases it's good because it is how god gets our attention because god has made a way out of brokenness and it's found in the gospel of jesus so we illustrate these things with these three circles we illustrated with that first circle design. God has a design for every area of our lives, a a design for our marriage, for our family, for our sex life, for work. God created us to be with him. He created us to be in communion with him, but we departed from that design. We chose other things. We chose to pursue other things over God's design, and the Bible calls this pursuit sin. Sin comes naturally to us. We don't even have to think about it most times. Anyone in here think about new ways of sinning no it just comes up right no one gets things right all the time no one is holy not one we all sin we all fall short of God's perfect design sin brings with it though a price and the price of sin in our life is brokenness brokenness looks like broken relationships addiction depression shame discouragement And we all want out of it, so we try to fix it. So we self-medicate. We try to be a better person. We say, as long as I'm more good than bad, it's going to be okay. We look for ways to alleviate our, our pain. But in the end, we find that we are still broken. So we're looking, and we know that we need change. The Bible, the Bible word for change is repent. Brokenness is what gets us ready. It gets us to the point where we are ready to try God's solution. The one that he presented at the very beginning to find God's solution, the change that we really need comes from Jesus because he forgives our sins. So if we understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that that he was buried and on the third day rose again, and we believe with our mouth, or believe with our hearts and confess with our mouth, mouth that Jesus is Lord, we repent and believe, and God gives us his spirit. And God gives us his spirit to help us to recover and discover God's design for our lives. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's all part of God's design to res- recover our design, our perfect design that God had put in place for us long ago. The Holy Spirit also helps us to to pursue God's design. And as we learn to pursue and to grow, we're then sent out. Jesus sends us right back into that broken world. Only this time, we're not going into the, bro- into the broken world as broken as we were before. We come into the broken world as a beggar saying, I know where the handout is. I know where to find hope. I know where to find peace. I know where to find strength for the day. I know the way. Come follow me. I'll show you where it is because we are sent out as missionaries in our own neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our school even into our own families. Jesus sends us right back into a broken world to tell other people how to find a way out of brokenness. So the question then is, will we choose to take God's way out of brokenness? Will we choose to help others to find their way out of brokenness? And I think right here is where we find a little bit of pushback. Especially when we start talking about this with people that don't see God the same way that we see him. But I want you to know that following Jesus makes a good difference in the world. Did you know that Christians, that Christians have more than double the rate of adopting children in the United States? that they help many children find redemption from the broken homes that they've lived in. That's how we show the world that life matters, by taking up the children in need. Following Jesus is good for your emotional and your mental health. Did you know that studies show that, that Christians have lower rates of depression, they have, there are fewer suicides, that there is less self-medication, that there's greater social support, that Christians find that they have more meaning in their lives. In fact, they, they engage more in volunteerism, in, in civic engagement. Being a Christian, following Jesus makes you more compassionate. People who pray daily and who attend church regularly significantly outpace the rest of the the nation in generosity. In generosity to the poor, in dollars, and in time. Jesus changes people. Did you know that people who are Christian are less likely to commit a major crime? That people who are Christians are 35% less likely to get divorced? One study even suggested this, that church attendance can add up to seven years to your life. Has to be the right church, huh? So what I want to ask you is this. Will you pray for your one? Will you intentionally engage with them? And my prayer is that you will find the opportunity to change your everyday um, conversations into gospel conversations.